What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Lumberhawk Podcast, y'all. I just want to thank y'all for tuning in on your favorite podcast app, reading this on Substack, following me on Twitter, all that. I'm just a guy with a unique perspective on life. I want to share that perspective with you. Some of this is meant to be educational. Some of it's meant to be entertaining. The rest is just nonsense. None of this is financial advice. I'm just a guy with a microphone telling you how I feel about stuff. You got to do your own research. However, if you have any thoughts about this content, any of the stuff I say, any of the stuff you want me to say, or you want to have a conversation with me about any of this, we can do that as a podcast or not. Just hit me up here or on Twitter. All right, let's get into it. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Lumberhawk Podcast. I just wanted to go over something that I feel like I haven't done a great job at conveying to people. I spent a lot of my time trying to talk to people about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, where the future of digital assets are going, or at least where I think it's going, because who knows. I find it that everyone grasps really well the idea that the system we're currently in is broken. It doesn't matter if we talk about inflation or government spending or abuse in entitlement programs or how the stock market is rigged. It, like All that stuff all plays together. People tend to get that. What they don't get is how Bitcoin makes that different. So I want to start by asking you, how do you make money? Or... What is the function of money? They're very related questions. For the most part in our youth, we have a bunch of time and energy, and we usually don't have any personal wealth. So we spend our whole lives, or the majority of our lives, trading in that time and energy for wealth, such that when we are old, we can take that money and we can try to trade it back in for a little bit more time and probably some energy too. So when you look at it as simplistically as that, money is just a mechanism we use to exchange time and energy amongst each other. Now you can't do this with food because food spoils. You can't do this with dirt because anyone could go outside and pick up a handful of dirt. There's a lot of things that have acted as money in the past. But for the most part, throughout recorded human history, gold has always come out on top. The real question is why? If gold has been used as money for thousands of years, why? Well, my Captain Obvious answer is that it's the best medium that the world could produce at least for the time. Why is gold better than iron? Well, gold's hard to find. It's expensive to dig out of the ground. There's all iron everywhere. If gold were as prevalent as iron, people would just go dig it up. Everyone would have a ton of it. And if everyone had a ton of it, it would lose value. Just like when the US government prints a ton of dollars the dollars that you have lose value. They're losing value right now. 
somewhere between 8 and 15% a year because it's easy to make more dollars. It's not easy to make more gold. We can't make more gold. We've never figured out how to do it. The only way we know how to make gold is in a star. Another problem with iron, iron rusts. The idea of your money corroding, literally becoming less of what it was, seems like a pretty terrible way to store value. I bet you, at least for some of you, I didn't have to draw that similarity to US dollars again, did I? That's what inflation is. Inflation is your money corroding away. I mean, it's not corroding. It's being debased. But that's what's happening. You're putting your time and your energy into creating money so that way later you can turn it into more time and energy. But it'll buy less in the future because it's losing value, just like iron would. Same reason why we can't use water. I mean, water is more valuable to life than gold is. We don't use that as a, as a money. We can't. It evaporates and you consume it. That's another reason why gold is pretty good. You don't really consume it. Yeah, jewelry. Yeah, some electronics. But for the most part, gold is a metal that we can't create, that is very difficult to destroy, that doesn't corrode, that lasts for an eternity, and it's expensive to come by, which gives it a floor value. Those are the reasons that gold is a good money. Now, it's not the best currency. Why isn't it a very good currency? Well, it's not super divisible. I mean, you can shave off slivers of it, melt it down, you know, make gold coins, that kind of stuff. But even if you made gold coins, it's super heavy to carry around. What if you want to buy a house? You need like a truck of gold? What if you want to buy a company? What if you need to ship that gold to France? It's going to be very expensive, very time consuming. What if you wanted to buy a number two pencil? How much gold is that worth? So you're starting to see why gold isn't a great currency. That's why we made dollars. I mean, dollars weren't the first version, but that's why we started making paper money. Paper money is supposed to be a direct representation of gold. I mean, at least it was when it was made. To be fair, at the time, we were on a gold and silver standard, so some dollars were gold-backed, some dollars, dollars were silver-backed, depending on how large they were. It's not really the point. The point is our money was backed by a hard money, a hard money that was difficult to come by, lasted forever, maintained its value. In 1971, we stopped. We stopped doing that. Most of the planet came off of the gold standard in 1911, 1914-ish after World War I. By the time World War II was over, everyone was off of it basically besides the United States and Switzerland, and even the United States had kind of come off of it, just not completely. Thanks to the excessive spending associated with war, in this case, the Vietnam War, Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard in 1971. Now, prior to this, when the rest of the world came off the gold standard, the United States told everyone that we will stay on the gold standard and we will house everyone's gold in Fort Knox. And you guys, being the rest of the world, just hold U.S. dollars in your central banks. Our dollars are as good as gold. They're backed by gold. Therefore, your currency can still exist on a pseudo-gold standard 
it'll just have a middleman of the US dollar. US dollars backed by gold, your currency is backed by the US dollar, therefore your currency is backed by gold. That's what everyone wanted. Everyone wanted a currency backed by gold, you know, because economics. But then the US government just started printing money and printing money and printing money until these other countries started asking for their gold back. The US government realized that what was about to happen was essentially a bank run on the US central bank. Because the US government has been printing money at this time, you know, in the in the 70s and earlier, that wasn't backed by gold. They were inflating the money supply without having enough actual money to back the currency. Had everyone come and asked for their gold back, they wouldn't have had enough to do it. They would have bankrupt America. So that's when Nixon made his famous announcement, separating us from the gold standard completely. And now we are on what is called a fiat standard. Our money is not backed by any hard asset. It is backed by the trust of the people, the faith of the U.S. government, the might of the U.S. military, our economic prowess, that kind of stuff. But not like a real hard tangible asset like gold. Now, the reason why I'm talking about all this is because coming off of the gold standard, going to a completely fiat standard, has enabled the U.S. government to do a lot of things that have put us in a lot of really bad positions. The ability to print money with basically zero cost and zero energy to put into it has caused inflation to skyrocket over the last 50 years. And over the last 15 years, we've accelerated how much money printing we've done ever since the 2008 financial crisis all the way up through present day with COVID and everything else. And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing right now with you know, official CPI numbers at 8.6%, but true inflation numbers are very, very likely double that. I mean, the cost of real estate nationwide has gone up 20% year over year for the last almost two years. The cost of energy is even more extreme than that. So we've established that money is a representation of time. And we've established that when you can create money without putting in the work, then you are diluting the money everyone else has, which is literally stealing their time. If you worked for 10,000 hours of the course of your life to save $100,000, and that $100,000, when you worked for it, is good enough to buy you a house. But then the government goes and prints a whole ton of money, and your value, your wealth devalues by 40%. Now your $100,000 can't buy a house anymore. It can only buy 60% of that exact same house. You still have the same number of dollars. But what those dollars can do is less. Now the funny thing about time is that we all have a finite amount of time. We all die. Facts. So if you're converting your time into money and the system is stealing that money from you through devaluation, we're not even talking about taxation. Taxation is, you know, supposed to be a thing we all agree on, right? That's why we hire representatives who are supposed to pass taxes 
so that way we all pay our fair share. And even though we're not a, a direct democracy, we're a republic, a representative republic, those representatives are supposed to make those decisions on our behalf. Money printing isn't that. Money printing is the Fed just devaluing your money, taking your time without Congress, without asking your thoughts on it. So time is money. Time is limited. We all run out of time. And the current system is designed around the idea that they can just take that time from us whenever they want. So you're putting in work in order to make money to have later to buy time and quality of life. And they're devaluing that. This concept is something that people don't think a lot about. They think about inflation as being, oh, the price of goods are going up. And it can be. Inflation is often defined as the price of goods going up. But it's two sides of the same coin. If there are supply chain issues or lack of manufacturers or lack of workers, and that causes a supply crunch, which makes the price of the product increase because of supply and demand, yeah, that makes sense. But that's not what's happening for most of us in our lives. What's happening for most of us in our lives is the money that we've earned, that we've exchanged our time and energy for, is losing its purchasing power because there is more money in the system to go around and there's not more goods and services to balance it out. So this really isn't a new idea. I mean, this is why wealthy people invest in real estate. It's why they invest in businesses. It's why they invest in hard assets because they know that the way the money is designed to work right now, I mean, by design, the Fed wants your money to go down by 2 to 3% a year. They want 2 to 3% inflation. That's exactly what that means. Now, they tell us that that encourages spending and therefore is good for the economy, which is all bullshit. And I would love, if, if someone wants to come in and have a conversation about that, I would love to do that. Because it's going to boil down to this. Humans are consumers. We're always going to need to eat. We're always going to need a place over our heads. People enjoy the luxuries that they can afford. The problem with when your money is devaluing is you're going to spend it on whatever, whenever, because it's going to buy less stuff tomorrow. So just buy whatever now. But what if money didn't do that? You would only spend it on what you need and the highest quality products, whatever that might be for you. That doesn't, I'm not, it doesn't matter if you're talking about shoes or food or whatever. If your money is going to increase in value over time, the way gold has, because of all of the reasons I listed earlier, the biggest one being scarcity, then you're not going to spend your gold on something that is going to devalue or depreciate quickly. Why would you when that gold can buy you more stuff later than it can buy you now? You're just going to buy what you need and what you like and what you can afford, and you're going to live within your means. And you know, if you can afford it, you'll still splurge. Of course you will. But you're not going to be frivolous with it. So all of this, I know it's kind of turned into a little bit of a rant. Sorry about that. All of this is just to explain why Bitcoin is different. 
It really is going back to the old version of money, the free market decided version of money of gold in a digital way using today's technology, SHA-256 encryption, personal responsibility, self-custody. It also happens to take away some of the power of the central government from being able to censor your spending. I shouldn't have to remind anyone what happened in Canada a couple months back or the power that the U.S. government has to sanction individuals or nation states. Whether you think that's a good power to have or not is really indifferent. The point is nobody wants to be on the wrong end of that stick. So people are going to, they already are moving away from the U.S. dollar standard. They have to. It's in their own best interest. As a quick subtext, what do you think is going to happen to inflation when all of those U.S. dollars that are in the global banks around the world, in the central banks around the world, come flooding home because those banks no longer want to be tethered to U.S. monetary policy and the way that we have weaponized our money, especially the way we've done it in the last two, three years? When that money comes back home, the markets are going to be flooded with dollars. What does that mean for you? Well, if you have assets, that means the value of those assets in dollar-denominated terms are going to go way up because now there's way more money. But what if you don't have assets, just like 50% of Americans don't have assets? That means all of the money they have saved for a rainy day, for retirement, for an emergency fund, for medical expenses, all those people who are living on fixed income, social security, retirees, disabled people, they're all screwed. Their money's going to buy less stuff. It's not going to go as far. If your budget is tight now, inflation is killing you. And it's not going to get better, not anytime soon. The current inflation we have right now, because of all the money printing we've had, combined with COVID and supply chain issues and the war and all the things going on, that's not going to balance itself out on its own. The money supply has to balance out with the goods and services. That hasn't happened yet. Global conflict isn't going to stop. The United States using its monetary influence as a weapon against other countries and individuals isn't going to stop. Globalization is probably going to reverse course, at least to some extent, thanks to COVID, thanks to all these supply chain issues we've had. People are going to start developing local supply chains. Globalization is great for efficiency, but it's fragile. The idea of 80% of our superconductors coming out of the same place is a terrible idea. It might be cheaper than having 50 superconductor places, but all we need is one invasion of Taiwan and the world comes to a halt. I mean, look what's going on with food and energy just between Ukraine and Russia. So deglobalization, in my opinion, is definitely coming. And when that comes, supply chains will strengthen but efficiencies will go down, which means everything's going to get more expensive, more inflation. 
So if you can convert your time and energy and you, into wealth in the form of hard assets instead of in dollars, you're going to be better off. And even though the price action of Bitcoin for the last six months has been pretty rough, look at it for the last six years, the last decade. Realize that Bitcoin is designed as a store of value and as a currency that has a limited supply. It's got true scarcity, more so than anything, including gold. I mean, at some point, we're going to be mining gold off of asteroids, I promise you. What's going to happen to the gold market when that happens? Who knows? Bitcoin is algorithmically designed to never have more than 21 million coins. That 21 million coins is going to have to get shared by all of the humans forever. When we make more humans, there will be less Bitcoin per person, which means as we make more humans, generally GDP goes up because people create goods and services. People consume goods and services. So more people, more economic output. When you have more economic output and the same amount of money, not the same value, the same amount of money, the value of that money has to go up. It's the exact opposite of what's happening right now. Right now, we generally have the same economic output as we did five years ago. It hasn't changed very much, if at all. But the supply of money has increased dramatically. And since they have to balance, all the money equals all the things. I mean, that's an oversimplification. But generally, all the money equals all the goods and services. So if the goods and services don't change, but the money does, then the values of those two things have to adjust so that way they balance. So that was a very long-winded way for me to say, even though it does so much more, the foundation of Bitcoin is very similar to the foundation of gold. And in the global free market economy that has existed since the beginning of time, gold has constantly won as what civilizations wanted to use as money. Not always as currency, but as money. Because it encompassed all of the best qualities that allow it to maintain value throughout time. Bitcoin was designed to mimic that and improve upon that by having absolute scarcity and by removing all of the hurdles for gold to actually be a currency. And for all you who are going to, I know there's going to be somebody in here who's like, oh, Bitcoin can never be a currency. It can only do seven transactions per second, blah, 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 whatever. Gold is also a terrible currency. I already talked about that. What do we do to make gold a better currency? We built dollars on top of it. What do we do to make dollars a better currency? We built credit on top of it. So if you want to think about gold being a first layer solution, dollars a second layer, credit a third layer solution, Bitcoin's going through that same growth process right now. Realize it's only been around for 12 or 13 years. We already have the Lightning Network, which makes operating with Bitcoin basically free. I mean, it's cheaper than anything else you're ever going to use. You can send millions of dollars for cents. And then that gets finalized on the layer one Bitcoin network, which is a lot better than any other monetary network we have for final payment. 
All right, I'll get into that maybe another day. I just wanted to leave you guys with that little rant. Hopefully helped some of you guys think about things maybe in a slightly different way. All right, y'all. That's it for today. If you haven't already subscribed to my Substack, please go ahead and do that. You can listen to me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, but I recommend you check out Fountain so that way you can stack some free sats while you're doing it. Also get your free sats every day using the Choice app. You'll get free Bitcoin in a retirement account. And if you can put it into a Roth, that means that that Bitcoin will never be taxed for the rest of your life. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Lumberhawk. Leave me a comment on any of these platforms. And I will definitely do my best to get back to you. All right. Cheers, y'all. Have a great day.